I am recording. Makes sense because that's what the Bible's about, right? I was uh, telling Brian today, I heard some guys say, oh, it might not be right, but I would like to rename the Bible and call it, instead of the Bible, call it the book about Jesus because it, it would less confuse people because that's all it's about. The whole thing is about Jesus. It's not, it's not a book about how we should live or uh, anything like that. It's a book about Christ. And um, it does uh, it does point us um, to God's law and his will for our lives and so forth. But it is about Christ. So, all right. I know that um, we all got two section three. Is that correct? Y'all did one and two. So we're at three. Uh, no, y'all did wrong chapter. Yes. Y'all talked about the incarnation and um, learned all about 100% God and 100% man difficulty, the things that are hard to understand. Um, great mystery. And so now we're in section three. I'll just read that. And we'll see if we get through section three, uh, we'll move into four a little bit, but there's a lot in section four. And there's a there's a lot on the, from here on out and um, things that we, we just need to look at and make sure we have a grasp of. Section three reads this way. Chapter eight, section three. The Lord Jesus in his human nature united in this way, talking about all the stuff you've already just talked about in the um, um, divine man. To the divine person of the Son was sanctified, set apart, and anointed with the Holy Spirit beyond measure. He had in himself all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The Father was pleased to make all fullness dwell in him, so that being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he was thoroughly qualified to carry out the office of mediator and guarantor, or surety. Is an older word. He did not take this office upon himself, but was called to it by his father, who put all power and judgment in his hand and commanded him to carry them out. Um, the point of this whole section is that this amazing God-man, this 100% God, 100% man, in the flesh, perfect, unified God and man is thoroughly qualified to be the mediator and the guarantor, or as I said, the surety between God and man. And we see that in these verses that are given. If somebody wants to um, just start on this side and look up Acts 10, 38, and then if Michael, you'll do John 3, 34, just keep going. Hebrews 7, 26. Matthew 28, 18, that would be uh, Brian. I'm skipping through some of those. Acts 2.36. Did y'all hear what I said? I'm sorry. I, I forgot I made a different list than on here a little bit. You did. Acts 10.38, 10, John 3.34, Michael. Hebrews 7.26, Matthew 28.8, Acts 2.36, we'll cover again. Colossians 1.19, and then John 1.14. Those last two again? Uh, Colossians 1 19 and then John 1 14. 
So this whole section, again, the point is to show that Christ, being perfect God and perfect man, is fit and qualified because of the position given him by the Father to be the mediator and the guarantor between God and man. And we're going to talk about what that means. But I want you to see these verses and then we'll talk about that part. Who's got Acts 10.38? All right. You know that Okay, so God's with him. He's full of Holy Spirit, exactly what this section said. He was anointed by the Spirit and he healed. John 3 34. Okay, Hebrews 7 26. It was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Okay, and then this one everybody's familiar with, Matthew 28 and 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yes. And a lot of times, you know, we think that, that we only associate that with evangelism. But according to this section, it has as much, if not more, to do with the fact that he is the mediator and the surety we're, we're going to talk about between God and man. That's the power, all the power has been given to him and authority. And of course, we're going to see also the judge. He has the authority to judge. But the power that he's been given, and I know he, that's why he says in Matthew 28, I have been given this power, so now I'm instructing you to go. And that's a great encouragement. But the power that he has is to be the one that God has sent him to be. So Acts 2.36. Yeah. power. Anything that needs to be done, he's been given the power to do it. And everything that he, everything that makes him um, the God-man, and all the reasons he is the God-man, he's been given the power to do this very thing. And yes, um, all that is included. And we'll get to some of that later on in this section. It, it covers a lot of that. Uh, Colossians 119. I didn't read on Acts. Oh, sorry, Acts 2.36. Uh -huh. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Right. Colossians 119. For in him all the fullness of God was placed to dwell. 
Yes. Fullness. And again, these are just verses that are highlighting where they got this wording from, right, in this section. Because this is the stuff that they're saying. Uh, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The Father has given them the power because all fullness dwells in him. Holy, harmless, undefiled. Uh, John 1, 14, of course. Y'all probably talked about this some in the last two times here together. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory and glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of His grace and truth. Right. And so I think that all this is um, in this section to encourage us about what it, this final sentence says. Um, he was thoroughly qualified to carry out the office that he's been given. Thoroughly qualified. He has all power given to him by the Father. All power that's needed for anything, he has it. So, he has the ability, like no one else could, to mediate. Now, y'all probably all know what mediator means, but I'm going to read this definition because it's important. It means go-between. A one who mediates especially between parties at variance. Now, I think that's the sort of the crux of how Christ is the mediator. We were at variance with God, right? Our sin had separated us. Our sin caused us to be at enmity with God, the Bible even says. So God used Christ to mediate. And there's but one mediator. And we'll get into this later when we get into the offices of Christ, the prophet, priest, and king. All the Old Testament stuff of prophet, priest, and king pointed to Christ, who is who is the prophet, priest, and king. He is the mediator. He is the only go-between. <clears throat> I, I, I don't use the word, uh, and we none of us would use the word vicar for this reason. You know, vicar, uh, the Pope would call himself a vicar of Christ, a mediator between God and man. No, and that's not what I am. I'm not your go-between. I'm an elder and a pastor and a teacher. Jesus Christ is your go is your go between. Okay, He is your mediator. But it also says He had the power to be a surety or guarantor. And this is an interesting word, um, uh, much like in Ephesians one, it's a banking term against loss or damage. Um, a guarantee against loss or damage. A fulfillment of an obligation or payment of a debt. And I think that's all that would describe Christ. He uh, is a guarantee against any loss or damage. Jesus himself said, I've never lost one of the fathers given me. So he's never going to lose one of us. But also he's, an, he's a fulfillment of an obligation. If you remember, I think we talked about the... Um, the idea of the, um, the the tri-covenantal idea of Scripture, which is basically um, the, the the covenant of redemption, which was made by the Trinity before the foundation of the world, the covenant of redemption made within the Godhead that God would save His people. He would create a people and save His people out of that people. That was made before the foundation of the world, before the Bible. Uh, we know nothing about that other than we know it happens, pretty much. Then there's the covenant of works, which he made with Adam, which kind of flows all the way through Scripture, and then the covenant of grace, which is by that which by we are redeemed. And 
God has promised that from the beginning, right? Even in Genesis chapter 3, that he would save his people because of the covenant of redemption. He made a covenant of grace to save us because we would never got saved by the covenant of works. And so that being said, he is definitely a fulfillment of an obligation or a payment. Christ fulfilled the obligation that God himself had made to save his people. See, it's not, uh, we, don't, we don't play a part in it. This is God doing God's work, saving his people. We're just, if it's even right to say we're the benef benefactors or the beneficiaries, we're just the people that God saved. He made a covenant. He's fulfilling it. He's keeping his obligation. This is why Christ could have never failed. All right, there's no, there was no danger of Christ failing at any point because he was keeping this obligation that God the Father, that God the Father made to um, within the, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. And again, um, the payment of the debt was made. Uh, we owed the debt of sin. It was a sin debt that would have never been paid. So God sent Christ to pay it. And that's what all that the stuff y'all talked about in the last few weeks. The beauty of John 1.14. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews 2. He had to be made like his brother so that he could suffer in their place. I mean, he, all these things had to be, take place because, um, again, that's what a surety. I like surety because if you read a lot of the older, um, the Puritans and so forth, they like to use that word, surety. And it's in one of our songs. Uh, one of the, um, oh, I can't ever think of that guy's name when I need to. Um, anyways, it, it's talking about the redemption. It's talking about the uh, atonement that I cannot suffer. I cannot suffer for sin twice. Once at uh, my surety's right hand and then again at mine. So there's that word um, in one of our songs. It's a great phrase. Uh, it's a great word that just means simply um, a fulfillment of an obligation, a protection against loss, but also it can mean one who acts in the place of another. And that's probably maybe where that word describes Christ the most, right? He is the one who um, takes the place of another. And again, I think that's where we can see, and we'll get to that later in a few more sections down the way, prophet, priest, and king. All that was a foreshadowing of what we needed, something that we needed, whether it's because we were ignorant um, or because we were sinful or because we just needed to be lifted up and uh, put in a different place. And so Christ did all that. So anyways, he is the mediator and he is certainly capable because of the power given to him by the Father to be the mediator and the surety or the guarantor that nothing can disturb or pluck us from his hand. As Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Angels, death, principalities, uh, sword, peril, nakedness, famine, nothing. And um, man, I, I just always have to say this. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe in the perseverance of the saints or uh, eternal security is not the right word. Perseverance is the right way to look at it. But if you don't believe in that, it's because you don't understand how salvation happened to start with. You know, why you don't understand the covenant of redemption that this was going to happen. You know, this wasn't one day God the devil had to fight over his people. 
No, this was coming, and it happened perfectly. And this is Christ. Any question about that, or anything you want to say about that, or nothing? Here's a couple more verses. If any of you are writing down these, here. First Timothy two five. I'm not sure this is in the list. Got my glasses. First um, Timothy two five. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's a great, a great passage. Is Christ a mediator? Yes. And there's only one. There's no other way. There's no other. There, uh, Acts four twelve. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So there was no way, there's no way that we can be um, uh, ecumenists or polytheists, and those are words, just ecumenism means there's no way we can agree with all kinds of religion out there and say, yeah, everybody's getting to God. I mean, they're going their way, we're going ours. If we believe the Bible, we can't be that. Because this is clear. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. And the Father has given him all the power to be that. And not only that, but there's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved except Jesus. And I love, even in the garden, Jesus praying, Father, if it be so, let this cup pass from me. Well, if it had been so, it would have passed. But it wasn't so. It had to be. There is no other way. There is no other way. So not only is he qualified for it, he's the only one who could have done it. Because, again, this is how the Trinity designed it. Neither the Father or the Spirit can come down and become like us. It had to be the Son. So another thing that this section teaches us, which so much of the confession teaches, and I think because the Bible teaches this, that salvation is a Trinitarian work. It is... God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. We're saved because of the Trinity. The love and power of the Father given to the Son administered to us by the Spirit. Right? Um, Hebrews 5 and 5. Let me read that and then I'm going to get you all to look up some more stuff here. Hebrews 5 and 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, and today I've begotten you. In another place he says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, just more scripture uh, support that Christ is worthy and able, and the only one able to do this, um, fill this role of mediator and guarantor or surety. Um... All right, I'm moving on to a different thought here. <clears throat> Y'all got anything to say about that, right? All good. <clears throat> Personal study lately is 
But also, I think um, a lot of And, and it's going to, uh, in the next section, in fact, it's going to get into that and um, a little bit more, just really expressing um, his humanity as it talks about his death and suffering and All so forth. that, though, I mean, this section we just covered. Um, harmless, undefiled, holy, full of grace and truth, that's all in his divine nature, right? Qualified to carry out the office of media, that would be in his divine nature. All of this is actually talking yeah, well, because all of those things would have been in his divine nature, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have been in both. The fullness of, well, you know, before the incarnation, the fullness of God dwelling in him. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. all of that would have been there. So it seems like what he's saying that this is kind of focusing on just the human side of that, the flesh yeah. of Christ. That it was pleased and willing. Yeah. That all power and judgment was in his hands. Yeah, well. In his nature. Yeah. Right. Right, because you deal with, I mean, again, in order for him to mediate and be surety, he had to be human. Right. I mean, it couldn't just be, it had to be God in him. And so the human nature is, that's what makes it, what makes him our mediator. Yeah, but in this side, I guess, kind of speaking, just of the human nature side of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, and of course, I think it's in this section, eventually it'll talk about that, the fact that the human and divine nature are so inseparable that the Bible can speak to either one of them by only speaking to, about one of them. Right. So, you know, they're so inseparable. Yeah, there's only one Christ. But but I, I do agree that I think, um, now I don't like the way that Say modern TV is trying to make him so human that it looks ridiculous, like he's a, he's a refugee and all that kind of craziness. But uh, what do you think about the, the, the Jews at this time when he was on the earth? Yeah, they didn't they would have not had a human vision of God at all. That would have almost been right. Exactly. So to have the scripture. <laughs> Was God and He was in the flesh and He did walk among you. All of this power that God has is in Him. Yes. Yeah. Well, because again, yeah, they couldn't envision what, what God would look like. But yet Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because of these attributes of Christ. And I think it was just like he was always trying to get them to see the heart of the law rather than the, just the exterior of the law. 
just the do's and don'ts because the, the what the law would do is pound you into the ground until you look to a savior but they never could they couldn't grasp that of course apart from the Holy Spirit they couldn't grasp it and I think too when Jesus is saying I'm God that, like you said this is not what God would God wouldn't look like this no. yeah but he's saying if you see me you've seen the father because I've loved God perfectly and I've walked according to his statutes perfectly yeah Right. right. Absolutely. Which we can't be, but he has been. Yeah, and Adam, Adam failed, Christ didn't. Um. Okay. Any, anything else you want to say about that? I thought um, we would end the section with this part, if, if unless it goes quicker than I expect. Um, I think it's interesting that they point out this is just biblical truth, but we don't often think of it. He's he's been given all power by the Father. Which includes um, judgment in his hand. And he's given him power and judgment and then commanded him to carry it out. Because, you know, it's funny that nobody wants to talk about Jesus being a judge. He doesn't judge. He's been given the power and judgment and commanded by the Father to carry it out. These are some of uh, these are some of those other passages we already looked at. Um, Matthew uh, twenty eight eighteen. Um, the other ones that they have here, I think John five. Did we just read? No, John five and twenty two, maybe. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And then later in verse twenty seven. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And I think we already read, um, maybe Karen read Acts 2.36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom he crucified. So he's the Lord of all creation. So he is the judge, and he will be him that brings final judgment. And I just thought that was an interesting way for it to finish off this. He's been given the power to be all these things that we love. He's also been given the power to be the one who judges. And I just thought that was interesting because, like I said, most of the world and a lot of the church don't like to see Jesus as the one who would pass judgment. But he absolutely did. He did when he was on earth, and he will now and forever be the executor of God's of God's uh, law and wrath and judgment. All right. You don't want to add anything about that?
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's not it's not the physical uh, bearded Jewish man. Yeah. <laughs> few minutes and I'll at least move into this next section just because it, it continues it's really the same thought but it moves to this uh, first sentence the Lord Jesus most willingly undertook this office to discharge it I love that it points this out this was not because uh, I mentioned in the garden with Jesus praying Lord please just cut my pass for me let you know take this cup for me if it can be taken or whatever um, but this is this was Jesus willingly took this office. He, uh, I love this passage, Hebrews twelve and two. We are looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He willingly took this for his people. And the way he did so, it goes on to explain. He was born under the law. He perfectly fulfilled it. He also experienced the punishment that we deserved and that we should have endured and suffered. He was made sin and a curse for us. He endured extremely heavy sorrows in his soul and extremely painful sufferings in his body. And then he was crucified and died. And remained in the state of death. Yet his body did not decay. And on the third day he rose from the dead. In the same body in which he suffered. This is what I was saying earlier. It, it gets even more of this idea. of In the flesh. In the flesh. This is Jesus in human form. In flesh. And in this body he also ascended into heaven. Where he sits at the right hand of the father. Interceding. And he will return to judge men and angels at the end of the age. There's an idea again of judge. We definitely can't get into all that. I just did want I did want to read it because I love the wording here, and it's so important because um, this. I think I mentioned this in my prayer earlier. This is the active and This is the active and the passive obedience of Christ. The active has always been referred to his. Being born under the law and perfectly keeping it, never sinning. He's actively obeying. 
and he passively obeyed in the fact that he willingly went to the cross and was crucified. And, I mean, this language is from Scripture, but it's very heavy language. And I think it, um, it ought to cause us um, great humiliation and great thankfulness to God, the triune God, for sending his son to endure and suffer what we deserved to endure and suffer. He was made sin for us and he was made a curse for us. I don't think we can understand, and we'll, we'll talk about this more later. We can, I don't think we can begin to understand what it means to be a curse. Because we don't really live in a culture that where people are cursed. Um, I think about, it, it, have you ever read the Scarlet Letter? And the idea of, oh, this woman, is, it, it was the same thing, you're cursed. You can't even come out of the community. You, you ought to be ashamed. You did something that would make anybody blush and be shamed. Well, I mean, that's all of us. There's none of us. If it weren't for Christ, this is, that's us. We are a curse. And we are wretched. And Christ ex endured extremely heavy sorrows in his soul. And painful sufferings in his body. And I think, again, it's just combining those, the active and the passive. There's this, not just the whips and the cat, the cat and nine tails ripping the flesh from his body, but there's agonizing pain and sorrow in his soul. I think something that we can, we perhaps may never be able to even begin to fathom, but I think this is a reason that we have to take um, sin seriously and preach um, the law seriously so that the realization of this is all around us at all times. So it'll keep driving us to Christ. Not to not to not to weigh you down to where you walk out of here going, man, I'm so pitiful. No. It's to weigh you down to hear the good news. This is what we are. This is who we are. But look at who Christ is. The good news is, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. So, we can't toy around and act like that sin is not a big deal because it is. It's big. All of our sin is big and huge. But it, it should always bring us to Christ. He subjected himself to be born under the law then perfectly fulfilled it. And this is our hope. This is the only righteousness that we can cling to. It's his righteousness, right? So where it says, he was made sin. I mean, you ought, you ought to be able to hear that uh, passage from 2 Corinthians. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ. I mean, there's so much language in the Bible that proves that we were innocent, not, innocence is not the right word. We were passive bystanders when Christ came along and saved us. You know, we, were, we didn't throw in anything. He was made sin and we were made his righteousness. Or we were made righteous 
uh, made hit the righteousness of Christ. It's uh, it's a beautiful picture. It takes you back to um, the God making a covenant with Abraham. I mean, Abraham was asleep, so he didn't play a part in it. Um, but anyways, we'll get to this more next week and really talk about this idea of active and passive obedience. And also, I want to spend some time, since it's in there, talking about uh, ascension and intercession. Because a lot of, uh, you know, these words are very important. And, and you know, it sounds like, well, we talked about being the mediator. Is there a difference in mediation and intercession? And, and I think there is. And those are important um, topics, subjects. And I want you to grasp them. Because sometimes we say them, and a lot for you know what they are, right? So if you hear me or hear any of us teaching, and we talk about um, the active obedience of Christ, I want you to be able to know that, oh, you're talking about his suffering. Uh, well, you're talking about his obedience to the law of God, active. He was actively obeying. And if you hear us say passive, oh, come on, uh, his passion and going to the cross and suffering and soul and body. In the same way, um, if you hear, um, if you hear surety or, or guarantor, I want you to know what that means. Oh, Christ is the one who took our place. He, he guaranteed our salvation. He mediates. He's the one that he's our go-between. And the same thing, we get to these ideas of ascension, intercession, and there's just so much stuff in here. We'll get to back to the atonement, the extent of it. Talk about a lot of things before we get out of this chapter. It's really full of uh, what the whole Bible's about. So, from beginning to end. Any other questions or anything you want to add to it or ask? All good? Thank you. 